0: Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Welcome to the broadcast, and thank you for coming along. We all remember how we responded to the invasion of Ukraine, a sovereign nation, by Russian President Vladimir Putin in February last year, a date destined for infamy. We wanted to help. We wanted to be part of the defense of Ukraine. We sent money. I did. Now, more than a year later, Donor fatigue is setting in, and contributions are falling. But the need is greater than it ever was, and the horror after a year of bombardment is beyond imagination. Denise Augustinova, operations director and co-founder of MAGNO, knows the horror, and her efforts and those of her aid agency, which she heads, have been unfailing. She is in and out of Ukraine and has seen the horror firsthand. Her testimony, I warn you, is deeply disturbing as it should be. She bears witness to the bombs, the broken bodies, the screaming children, the rape and brutality that has gone on with the invasion. Zenisa, welcome to the broadcast. Would you like to tell us about your organization, MAGNA, and how it operates?
1: Hello, everyone. Um, Thank you very much uh, for welcoming me in your show. Um, MAGNA is a medical organization, medical humanitarian organization operating over 23 years in the worst (laughs) areas and crisis around the world. Uh, Currently, uh, and unfortunately, uh, as again in a European setting, uh, after uh, ex Yugoslavian war, now we are in uh, Ukraine, in a absolutely horrible scale of uh, conflict, um, how do we operate? We have teams on the ground. We have medical professionals, uh, uh, doctors, nurses, logisticians, and uh, uh, teams on the ground, um, not only in the capital cities, but of course in the what we called missions and bases uh, where there is the biggest needs where we uh, treat our patients, we have mobile clinics, we have static, uh, what we call static health facilities, and uh, what makes it difference, we are really on the ground 24 uh, seven, treating for our patients and uh, survivors of uh, the biggest um, uh, problems and crisis in the world.
0: Denise, uh, how close to the fighting are your clinics? Uh, take us to one, if you would, imaginatively, uh, there it is. What is it? Is it a trailer? Is it a building? Is it in the open? And who are the staff in a typical day on duty?
1: <laughs> if we are talking about uh, Ukraine, um, Absolutely. Uh, we we are talking about uh, um, many times per day, the, the teams and the patients have to be hidden because of the bombings. We are working in uh, many areas inside of uh, Ukraine. We started before this biggest invasion in uh, February 2022. We were already in the East, in Donetsk and Luhansk uh, area. And we had to um, evacuate um, December 2021, since we already expected the the attack. And, Usually all our team members have to um, take the patients to the safety a couple of times a day and it's not uh, different these days. Uh, I have to say a lot of people are start to be very fatigued and very tired of uh, back and forth of, of hiding in the shelters. But of course for our medical teams and the patients we have to do it. But uh, it's not only how far you are from the front line. It's about the bombings in the places which are uh, different every day. Uh, but if we are talking, we are working since the day one in um, Kharkiv, uh, which is completely, almost completely different uh, area, the, the, uh, uh, the uh, destroyed area. Uh, of course, we are in Kiev, Dnipro, uh, Kherson. Uh, I, I can go on and on. Uh, yeah, I I can uh, <laughs> explain uh, how is it looking. But of course, um, the first day we were among the first responder in uh, Bucha Irpin uh, uh, atrocities. So uh, all our team members are on the ground twenty four seven basically with uh, very strict rotations. But uh, as I as I have to say, it's uh, very hard, especially for medical personnel for mental health specialists and everyone who is on the ground 24 seven.
0: And one of the things that I think is particularly interesting is that the thrust of your endeavors is medical and that you collect surplus medical supplies from around the world, including the US. And I've had the good fortune to talk to your, uh, your partner organization in the US, SOS International, headquartered in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, what kinds of equipment do you get from the U.S. and from other donor countries?
1: Yes, we developed very exceptional collaboration with U.S. International over the year <laughs> now. We started uh, in uh, um, in this Ukraine um, um Conflict, uh, but we continue in the other areas as well. Um, of course, at the onset of the conflict, there were a little bit different um, needs as they are now, but uh, we still are crossing um, the needs of equipment uh, in the in the time of. Uh, um, energy crisis from almost October up to February. We were as well looking for generators, which are uh, so-called simple uh, equipment, but there were um, a radical um, problem to find them inside of Europe because the the people were uh, so stressed that they were sold out uh, in the whole market. Um, Medic, medicines, um, all Scale of medicines from the antibiotics up to uh, very simple antipyretics, uh, chronic diseases, which uh, are not stopping even during the conflicts. So, we are um, supplying uh, what we call um, medical uh, kits for uh, chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. And uh, every single thing, even simple um, hospital beds, uh, now we are renovating hospitals, which were bombed or completely burned out or destroyed. So uh, whatever you can imagine, it's needed in the hospital. These are the most needed things, even these days. What the...
0: yeah. You After... mentioned generators. Um, and what, what do you mean by generators? Are these uh, electrical generators, oxygen oxygen generators? Uh, what is the, what are what kind of generators?
1: There are specific generators with a specific um, um, uh, needs because we are running hospitals uh, and the medical s- facilities, which they need to be supplied with a strong uh, uh, what we call generators. So they are bigger or smaller. Uh, we were distributing even the smaller one for the patients because they were frozen in their houses without any electricity. So, well, we might say that there are there are several types for the medical facilities are different, and for the basic use th- those are different. they were more um uh, easy to find, but uh, of course, those big ones were were really re- issue to bring. Um, we were getting a um, lot of supplies uh, um, from across the Europe, but the one from SOS and US were, was really, really, really supportive in terms of as well food support because people are out of their homes, the, they are scared to stay inside. Uh, basically, they live inside of our medical facilities um, uh, which are more safe for them. So we are, we were, we have been distributing food as well in our facilities.
0: Yeah, um, when it comes to uh, supplies from the U.S. in particular, I know that they are gathered by SOS International, which is headed by Denise Sears, and mostly from hospitals. They work with 100 hospitals. Channel... Their equipment, the surplus equipment, through Louisville, where it is verified, checked, medicines to see they're still effective and that they're not past their useful date, and physical equipment, life generators, to see that they're operational, that they work. How do they then get to Ukraine? What is the supply chain into Ukraine?
1: Yes, we are working with Denis. So uh, SOS is able to bring those supplies at the European continent. And from the entry point, Magna is taking over and bringing them inside of Ukraine, since we are amongst few, or um, yeah, we are still amongst the few medical organizations who are able to bring medicines and medical supplies inside of Ukraine uh so we have permissions we are working with uh, ministry of health of the country uh and at that point we are just bringing it to our biggest uh, warehouse which is still in kiev capital city and after that we are distributing to the most needed places where we are working and where we. And what is the
0: what is the routine you don't fly into into kiev you uh you fly into mostly uh Poland is that correct? And then by truck and by train, But exactly. that be the route?
1: Yeah, um, usually it arrives to Poland, and from that by tracks uh, mm-hmm. it comes to all the way down to to Kiev to our warehouse. And, and from... so
0: Poland is critical. What about Germany? What about other front line or nearby countries?
1: Uh, Germany is quite far. For us, so Poland is of course the best because it's uh, very easy to bring uh, from uh, Poland and cross the border. Uh, There is as well that uh, part of the roads which are more safer and less destroyed than those for example coming um, from down uh, from Slovakia. Um, there are uh, many landmines now, uh, landmines in a, inside of uh, Ukraine. So you have to be very careful to choose the proper roads and the proper um, uh, way how to bring your supplies uh, and how to operate inside of the country.
0: What do you most need today? What is the, what would you love to have a truck heading from Poland into? Into Ukraine today carrying what would be that prized supply?
1: I would say that you know, we are, uh, as you mentioned, we are one year uh, from the big conflict. Um, maybe most of the people are forgetting that it's of course, it's it's worse, not better than at the onset of of the crisis we need uh supplies medical supplies medicines more than ever before but uh even simple thing like uh, beds for the hospitals because now we are at the stage of certain hospitals to be completely rebuilt and uh renovated and and uh you know if you don't have even the place to put the, your patient on it's very complicated um we can continue for simple things as a blankets. We can continue for the food, um, uh, but yes, it's a, it's a mix of uh, uh, emergency supplies for uh, what we call emergency medical kits, meaning medicines and um, medical supplies up to the um, uh, beds and, and food. So uh, there are, the country is divided, of course, as per the oblast, so meaning the the, the areas, and uh, there are more dangerous play areas than than others. The, we have a lot of IDPs, so uh, internally displayed people. So some areas which are a little bit safer have higher needs as well, because they have too many people who escape uh, the violence and they are there, mostly women and children and all elderies. So as well, we are working on that, on distribution of uh, simple supplies for them. And as I'm saying, in those, let's say, uh, uh, safer areas, we are already uh, starting. Like now we have a very big operation, not only in Kharkiv, which is very secu- security-wise, very complicated, but Carson, Mikolev uh, and other areas where we try to renovate and uh, re-equip all the medical facilities.
0: Where do you get the medical personnel? You know, this is not, um, you know, obviously it's very dangerous. It's very exhausting. It is about the worst situation for a doctor or a nurse or anybody who works in medicine. Uh, where do you recruit them from and how do you keep them there?
1: Most of the medical personnel still inside of Ukraine are Ukrainians. Uh, who I call them really, not only them, but because most of my team members are heroes. Uh, They are there, they are still serving and treating their own people, despite of the fact they are as well having the families uh, um, had to go, or they lost some of the family members, or they are victims of atrocities, they are still there and working. Of course we are having people across mostly europeans who are helping there are some slovak uh, people but not only of course um but yes it's it's very complicated because uh the situation is very hard uh you have to rotate your colleagues because it's um emotionally and uh, mentally very hard mission it's open conflict it's a lot of bombings it's a lot of uh uh stressful situation every day and especially for the local uh, team members it's their own country they see their uh, citizens to be killed and wounded so it's it's uh, really hard for them
0: now you're speaking to me from <clears throat> Bratislava, the capital of slovakia uh, you are a native of slovakia that is your homeland and where you live uh, and it is a neighboring country to ukraine but as you said, it's not very easy to move uh, materials across. Do you have a lot of refugees? I know that Poland has four or five million refugees, an incredible number. What's the situation in Slovakia like?
1: Slovakia uh, situation is stable, I would say. Um, I mean, um,
0: in terms of refugees.
1: In terms of refugees, um, I think uh, Slovakia did a great job to welcome everyone and, uh uh try to um host everyone uh, we did a lot of uh, big things in that chaotic situation which uh, started to be um almost like we we were not even able to understand i was here while well, uh, 2024 20, february 2022 started this madness and uh, I am very happy that we were able to uh, to welcome everyone, to provide the education for the kids, the, the work for uh, for adults. Uh, but of course, um, most of the people would like to go back, but the situation inside of Ukraine is not stable enough for them to go back, so they are still staying. Of course, the numbers are not as huge as in uh, Poland, which is a much bigger country. But I believe that um, we are doing a lot of programs inside of Slovakia to uh, welcome and still um, you know, be able to take care of everyone who is uh, wishing to stay and work and wait for the peace inside of Ukraine.
0: Tell us a little more about Magna and how it was formed. I think you said after the collapse of Yugoslavia and you were there originally, which was now uh, quite a few years ago and have been hard at it ever since. You're a co-founder of Magna. Tell us about it. How many people work with or through Magna and how many countries is it uh, doing its humanitarian uh, undertakings in?
1: So officially, Magna was created in 2020, uh, in uh, 2001. Um, and... Uh... Long time before I started to uh, conduct some of the humanitarian work, I, I study uh, mental health and uh, psychology. So I was trying to find some possibilities how to enter ex-Yugoslavian uh, war conflict to to help uh, refugees, uh, especially uh, children in uh, in the refugee camp. So yes, uh, this this is very long time ago. But uh, since 2000, basically 2001, when Magda was created, uh, we have been working in over almost 30 countries in the major um, uh, conflicts and um, um, catastrophes, I would say, if we are talking about wars or floods or cyclones or um, earthquakes, tsunami, and so on. But as well in long-term, crisis like uh, hiv which it's a long-term chronic disease and we are still active in the country where we started which is cambodia you know 2000 actually in 2002 Uh, and we still have our patient Uh, i am a grandma of many (laughs) negative children uh, because of our perfect program uh, prevention mother to child hiv transmission uh we have thousands of patients still in care on long-term uh, antiretroviral treatment. And yeah, we have almost uh, 2000 people on the ground every day who are working and delivering care, uh, medical care, psychological care, uh, but as well logistician and the guys who are um, bringing the supplies. Uh, but most of our team members are, are medical.
0: And tell me about uh, your own family. You, you're married, you have two daughters, I understand. And um, this must be very rough to be working in the chaos, the, the bloody awfulness that is Ukraine, and to keep a happy family life in, uh, uh, in the next country over, Slovakia, with your two daughters.
1: My two girls, they uh, actually never lived in Slovakia. Uh, They grew up in Asia and Africa with uh, our work. (laughs) Uh, So uh, the only time they were here uh, was the time of COVID because uh, we got stuck during the COVID. The last plane left and then after they closed all the (laughs) airports. So we could not really leave. Uh, But uh, I think they really since they grew up uh, in many programs of magna and they understood since they were little girls what we are doing uh they get used to so for them it's a part of their life they are asking very complicated questions since they were small girls because uh, uh we decided not to hide the truth from them uh, and I, what i'm what, what i was always saying i would try to Answer the true, just to um make it proper for the age of each and everyone. So that's why they try to save the world in their own way, since they were all small. But of course, now we um we are talking about uh, one girl who is uh, almost fifteen soon, so, She's uh, happy that she's uh, not only in uh, very complicated areas and she will start um, a big school soon. But uh, I think it's important to share with young people the reality of the world and tell them that it's uh, what is happening and. Sometimes I was very surprised that they were the uh, among the few one in their classroom to to be able to understand that what is happening inside of Syria, inside of uh, other countries where there was war, or once uh, the girls are not able to attend the school, or what is happening inside of Ukraine. So I believe that uh, we should not hide the truth, uh, and not for adults and not for children. So like this, we can make. The planet, better place.
0: You said that your eldest daughter is nearly fifteen, and the younger one is how old? She'll be nine. So this is a this is a very difficult upbringing for them, uh, seeing so many war zones or, or areas of catastrophe, as you said, like earthquake zones. Uh, for example, Turkey today. Yeah, this is not a place you would want a young girl to be. Uh, you've spoken eloquently in the past about rape in Ukraine and the rape of children, which is particularly appalling, disgusting. There are no words that describe how vile that is. Uh, Why is there so much of it?
1: Um, This is something uh, very hard for me as well. One of the topics which I really try for all my uh, adult life to be able to understand and with all the compassion I'm trying to understand why is it happening and to understand the second part, the the the, the part of those we call aggressors. Um, it's uh, extremely hard because most of our uh, patients and victims are really young. Uh, there are countries we are working we have very small children if you talk about uh, congo and other uh, areas but as well uh, we discussed previously together about ukraine this is a really um uh, part uh, of of the world that they as well again misusing it as a as a gun of war to attack the most vulnerable people to uh break their uh, hands uh, to make fractures so they are not able to protect themselves and, uh, and to rape whatever age you can imagine. And uh, unfortunately, um, this is something which was considered as a collateral damage until the ex yugoslavian war, 1993 and 1994, 1995. It was still considered as a collateral damage and it was not really considered as a as a problem. Um, yes, it's very hard because first of all, there are not only physical, um, bounds you have to take care, but the psychological, which are long-term and you have to work with those. And imagine we are talking about children most of the time as well. Uh, so, um, still since my first patient, which was uh basically in slovakia because i was working before i left to these uh, countries with such a patients or, or survivors uh, here uh, i'm still trying to understand how uh, someone is able to conduct such a crime
0: um, americans uh how can they help
1: thanks to the donors and thanks to friends and thanks to support we are still able to save lives and help people to treat them so you can feel that you make difference but yes of course for the normal people i understand it's it's very hard and it's jumping from all around but the first and number one thing it's not to forget that these people are still there and suffering and that war did not end
0: Um, would you say for the benefit of people who listen to this program on the radio uh, what your website is how they can reach you
1: yeah it's a magna.org
0: magna.org that's pretty simple and thank you very much on behalf of our viewers i think i can say and our listeners because i think i can say that we thank you Denise, for being on this program but primarily for what you do and that's our show for today uh, we thank you for coming along, and we hope—I hope—that you remember the uh, struggles that go on endlessly, and the people who render help on the ground, the broken, the bleeding, the bloody, and the hopeless. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Wherever you listen, we are there.